Well, good morning. So my name is TJ. I'm a volunteer here at the church, so you're definitely getting the JV team this morning. But um, as, as it is Father's Day, I want to tell you one of my favorite dad jokes, all right? So you got to get ready here. This is a pretty good one. All right, so a, father and son, a dad is washing the car with his son, and his son looks at him and says, Dad, can't you just use a sponge? All right, all right let me try it again because you missed it. You missed it. So the, a dad is washing the car with his son... And his son looks at him and said, Dad, can't you just use a sponge? That's pretty good, right? That's a pretty good joke. You can file that away uh, and use it later. So we've been uh, wrestling through the book of Romans for the last couple of weeks here at church. And the book of Romans is actually a pretty complicated book. It's got lots of nuance to it. Um, the arguments are pretty tight. They're pretty concise. It's a little bit like that joke, to be honest. Like the first pass can feel confusing. You're like, is that even a, that's not, a, that's not even a joke, is it? And then you, on reflection, it kind of sinks in and kind of clicks. And that's a little bit of what this book looks like. It's a little bit of how this book feels. And so this morning, um, again, if you're not a Christian, if you're, if you got talked into coming because it's Father's Day, you know, we're glad to have you here. You don't necessarily have to agree with us, but I really want to lay this out because I think it's something that we all wrestle with. And so to put this all in context, so your Bible's generally divided into two parts. You've got the Old Testament and you've got the New Testament. The Old Testament is old, and the New Testament is, it's also old, actually. It's also old, but it's newer than the, new, than the Old Testament. And so you've got these two parts of the Bible, and the New Testament is really broken down into three parts. You've got the Gospel of Jesus. These are the four books that kind of tell the story of Jesus' life. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so you've got these books that kind of sit together, and we call them the Gospels, is what we call them all together. And then you've got this one book that's kind of unique and stands by itself. It's called the book of Acts. And you can hear that and you think, you know, is it an Acts, like Paul Bunyan? No, but it's actually the, the things somebody does. Like when I go um, and I do something, those are the Acts that I do. And so this is the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the things the Apostles did and the way the Holy Spirit was at work as the church began to grow, began to shape, and to begin to take off. And so that's really what the book of Acts is. And then the last half of the New Testament, really the majority of the New Testament, is going to be these, these books, we call them the letters or the epistles. An epistle is just a style of letter. And these are all letters written by different church leaders, most of them by Paul, written to different churches and different faith communities to help answer theological questions, to help unlock different parts of of what it means to follow Christ, to kind of shape what these communities were all about. And the book of Romans was written by Paul to the church at Rome. And I know you could, he could have come up with a better name than that. You know, it's the church at Rome. I guess we'll call it Romans. Um, and this, so that's kind of how it came about. And this book is probably one of the most nuanced books in the New Testament. It's actually pretty complicated. Um, I was actually in ministry for a lot of years and actually preached full-time for a long time. And I never, ever preach the book of Romans because it's really complicated. It has a lot happening in it, and it's really nuanced. And so I just kind of used other epistles to teach around it, and now twice Chad has asked me to preach from it. So he's really got me good. So that's where we're at this morning. That's kind of setting up where, we, where, um, where the book fits. And so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've been with us as we kind of walked through this. Um, we've all kind of wrestled with this thing uh, that Paul describes in Romans chapter 7. He says this, he said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. Can you feel that? Like, what I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, 
Those are the things I actually do. Those are the things that I actually follow through on. And all of us can kind of wrestle with that. We started, you know, the diet's going to start on Monday. I, I meant next Monday. You know that feeling? That I, I'm going to start working out from now, and every day I'm going to work out a little bit. Or I'm going to read. I'm just going to read for 20 minutes a day. And then you're, you wake up, and it's been two weeks, and you haven't read at all. These are all things we, we set our mind to, we set our intentions to, but they don't always translate to action. And why is that? Why is that? Why is it, especially when it comes to, I'm not going to fly off the handle anymore. I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm going to yell less. Maybe that's just me. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this lust issue. When she texts, I'm not going to answer. When he calls, I'm going to ignore it. I'm not going to play these games anymore. I'm done with this. And yet, we still get trapped. We still get caught in those things. Paul goes on to say, for when I desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. Uh, and for when I do not want to do good, uh, and, uh, for, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing it. That I keep falling back to this. And one of the things Paul is trying to argue here is you may have answers as to why you struggle with this, why you do the things you don't want to do and the things you want to do, you don't do them. You may have an answer. We may sit down to coffee and you can explain exactly why this is. But Paul's answer to this is sin. That we kind of live in this world that's broken by sin. And maybe the word sin makes you uncomfortable and so you're more comfortable with the word temptation. But either way, the concept is the same. What Paul is saying is that we were born in Adam. We're born into this. It's almost like an inherited disease. That it's just around us. It's in our culture. It's in the world. And it's hard for us to not follow through on it. And some of us, we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves as good people. But the trouble with that is, is we can all see that sometimes bad people do good things. Like there's a really famous animal rights activist, somebody who was passionate about caring for animals, was actually a vegetarian because of it. His name was Adolf Hitler, which is a weird quirk of history, that this man that epitomizes evil had this real soft spot for critters. This man who killed millions of people cared about animals. And what Paul would say is even evil people sometimes do good things for their own ends. But if you're a fundamentally good person, why on earth would you do something wicked? Why would you hurt somebody else? Why would you do something evil? Paul's saying if you are a good person at your core, why do you do evil things? He said the answer is because at your core, you're not as good as you think you are. That you're stuck and born in sin. We're born into this world that creates this division. But what Paul wants us to see, what Paul is arguing for in this book, is that we've been taken out of Adam and put in to Christ. That we've kind of crossed this line and we've moved from here to this new life. This new life in Christ. So what was once true of Adam, and it was true of us, is now we find ourselves in Christ. So what is true about Christ is true of us. This is why we can find ourselves being forgiven. Paul goes on to say this. He says, now what I do not want to do, uh, I do, uh, what I, uh, so Paul says in chapter 20, verse 7, he says, uh, now if I do what I want, uh, do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that does it within me. What Paul is saying is that sin 
is this thing that we war against. It's not just something that we do, but it's this, it's this actual thing. It's a tangible thing that we're constantly battling against. This kind of difficult nature that we have. And he's saying we're moved from this to this. That just as Adam brought sin into the world, Paul says in the book of Romans, Christ brings new life into the world. That we've moved from here to here. The illustration that Chad used last week that really resonates with me is this illustration of adoption. One of my closest friends, Aaron, they adopted a little boy uh, from China. And it took several years to kind of walk through that process. Uh, he was the special needs, and so he lived in this orphanage there in China. And when they went to pick him up, when they finalized the paperwork, when they stood in, stood in front of the judge and signed that paperwork, he instantly became part of that family. That the orphanage, the People's Republic of China, they no longer had sway over this boy. This boy instantly became an American. He couldn't speak English. He couldn't speak Chinese at that point either. He was a young kid. Um, he also couldn't recognize what had happened. He had no say in it. He had no control over it. He was just an infant at the time. But he was brought home. And the wealth that this family has, the name that they have, their citizenship, all of that instantly transfers. He doesn't have to earn it. It's not a provisional status. It's not like, well, you're kind of a part of our family, and we'll see how this works out. You know, once he's adopted, once he's brought in, he is there. And the same is true of us. Once we've been adopted by Christ, once we've said yes to Jesus, we are part of this family. And what is true of Christ is true of you. And so this is hard because we still wrestle with this idea of sin. We still wrestle with it. And do you remember last week, Chad gave us all some homework to do. Um, that e during the week when we went to sin, he said, you can still sin, but before you do it, what are we supposed to say? Do you remember? Does anybody remember? Sin is not my master. Do you remember walking through this last week? Sin is not my master. He even had us whisper it. So I want you to repeat after me. Sin is not my master. That this is not who we are. And it's not where we have to stay. But he really wrestles with this question, so what do you do with this next? And that's where we're going to spend some time today. So what and what's next? Those are the two questions we're going to try to answer in the book of Romans. So if you've got your Bibles or you can launch your Bible app, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, starting at about verse 9 is where we're going to be this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to give us three words to kind of help walk through this. Because again, Romans is a really tight book. Literally, uh, the sentences are complicated. They're big run-on sentences in Greek. And so it's a little hard to translate the ideas into English for us. It's a little bit like, um, again, like that joke earlier. It's, it's nuanced. It's complicated. You have to really listen for it to fall. And so sometimes having a framework to understand helps. And so we're going to use three words to walk through this passage this morning. Uh, the first word is declare. So I want you to say it with me. Declare. All right. And then decide. Say it with me. Decide. And uh, devote. Say it with me. Devote. I feel like a Baptist minister here. We've got three Ds. We've got declare, decide, devote. But that's really that framework that's going to help us kind of navigate this passage together. So starting in verse 9, uh, in chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Paul says this. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. What he's saying is that we know that Christ has died, that Christ has been raised from the death, and because he lived this perfect life, death no longer has sway over him. 
that he's conquered death, that he's defeated death, is what Paul's saying. And he said the death that he died, he died in sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. What he's saying is that Christ died this death that we all should have died, but that he lives with God, which is the life we get to live. And so one of the challenges when it comes to even talking about this, is when we've heard, if you grew up in church or you've heard somebody talk about it, maybe you got a track one time um, that had like a little cartoon on it that told you how to not go to hell, that we can hear that the, the message of Jesus is that sin no longer impacts where you go when you die. And, and that's, that is true. That is, Paul teaches that. That is an important part of what it means. But Paul in the book of Romans is trying to tell us that it's much more than that then not only does sin not control where we go when we die, but sin doesn't have to control the way you live. Paul wants you to understand that sin does not have to control the way you live. That that is part of this new life that we've been raised to. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive, in, uh, alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's making it clear to us that we're supposed to count that we are dead to sin. And that word count there, it's this Greek word that means kind of to, to take into account, to consider, to, to have as a part of your figuring. When you sit down to take the count of something, to take the inventory of something, don't overlook this. And so what we're going to use is that word declare, that we're going to declare that sin no longer has mastery over us. That sin isn't necessarily a part of how we have to live. That sin is not our master. That we have been raised to new life in Christ. And this is something that's kind of hard to get your mind around. It takes a little bit of time. And, and I would say that that is okay. I tend to be a pretty slow adapter to life change. Um, you've, you, you may have heard somebody talk about like the first time my child was born and I held them in my arms and I looked at them. I never knew that I could love another human being so much in my, their, my whole life. That was not my experience. <laughs> the first time my child was born and I held him, I thought, this is a baby. I have to take care of this baby now. <laughs> this is my baby. All right, I got a baby. And it was really about three years into being a parent, that I kind of really clicked that, that I'm a dad. Like when I thought about myself at my core, I saw myself as a dad. It took about three years for me. And the truth is, it took me about three years once I got married to see myself as a husband. That I didn't just wake up one day and start thinking and moving and acting as a husband, as a partner in this relationship. It really took me about three years. Like, I'm just a slow learner, I think. Um, it's just hard to adjust to these new realities. It's hard to adjust when the world changes around you, especially when the person you were, they're just no longer here. They're just not who you are anymore. When I was a single person, that's who I was. But then I'm married, and it takes a little time to get used to that. It's not just something you wake up one day and have. The same thing with a parent. I just didn't figure it out. Um, I don't know that I still have figured it out, but I at least see myself as a dad now. Um, at my core, it's part of who I am. And so those things take time. And what Paul is saying is we need to lean into this profound truth that we aren't here anymore. But we're here. 
that this is where we belong. This is the life that we live. And essentially he's saying that we are dead to sin, that sin is not my master anymore, that we declare that to be true. But he goes on in verse 12. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So he's saying, don't let sin control your life. Don't let sin be who you see yourself as. And this is so easy to do because we can look around and we can make all kinds of excuses. Well, it's just the way I am. It's just how men are. It's just how my dad was. It's how my uncles were. It's how I am. It's how my mom was, and so it's how I am. It's how my family interacts. The one that, that, is, <laughs> that happens to me the most is if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't do this. You know, we want to offset it to somebody else that it's really their fault that we are behaving this way, that it's their fault that you're having this issue, that if other people would just live their life right, we wouldn't have a problem. But what Paul says here is he says this, he says, do not let sin reign over your mortal body so that you obey. Do you hear what he says? It, it's. He is, he is making it clear that this really is an entity that you're fighting against. This isn't just an idea, but it's a thing that you're doing war with. And part of how you can see this is when you come down to temptation, when it comes down to sin, there's a wrestling that's there. And how do you talk about it to yourself? How do you justify it to yourself? When you're in Adam, when you're in sin, you justify it by yourself all kinds of ways. Again, this is who I am. This is just how I was raised. This is just how all men are. Sometimes you can even uh, justify it in that, you know, this is just, this is, this is the situation that I find myself in. I deserve this. Because of all these other things, I get this. Oh, it's just a little bit. You, know, you can feel yourself kind of justifying for it. But when we're in Christ, you're saying that that is something that is behind me. That is something that is my old life. That is something that is dead to me. And so you say this, when you're talking about justifying sin, you begin to talk in ways that sound like it's something from the past. That's how I used to live. That's what I used to do. That's what I once did. But that's not who I am anymore. And how you frame up that argument, how you talk about sin to yourself, really does affect the outcome it really does begin to impact what you believe and what you think and how you behave. And you may hear this right now, and you may think, this is just Christian psychology. That's what this is. But there's more to it than that. Because again, even if you're not a Christian, even if you think all this is nonsense and you're just here to be nice to a friend, you're just listening online because somebody asked you to, you still wrestle with this tension. You still feel this pull that you don't do the things that you want to do. And the things that you want to leave behind, the person you want to leave behind, still keeps coming out. You still keep wrestling with it. And so how do we begin to move forward? And Paul says it's beginning to be clear that sin is the old life. That sin is trying to rule over you. And you begin to walk away. And so you have to decide if that's coming for you. You have to decide that that's coming for you, that you're moving into this position and you're beginning to shift here. And again, it takes time for a lot of us. 
Sometimes people have these dramatic stories where they woke up one day and they just decided they were done sinning. They just, that was the, their old life. But a lot of us wrestle with it for a long time. We can feel that tension. And so Paul goes on and says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Paul is painting this pretty graphic image. Do not let any part of your body be given over to sin. Not your hands. You know, your hands belong to God, but you're going to use those for something else. Not your feet. You're not going to go to those places that you've been tempted. You're not going to let yourself go that direction. Your mouth, that you're not going to, you're not going to use your words to cut down. And some of us are pretty good at that. Some of us have a pretty, pretty biting tongue. And some of us even feel pretty good about using it. We even plot it out sometimes. Oh, I'm going to get them. I know just what to say. Next time they come at me with that nonsense, I've got just the thing to shut them down. I've got just the thing to stop them in their tracks. I can't tell you how many times that I have felt that, where I'm ready and waiting to commit something wicked, to say harsh words, to finally justify myself. And what Paul is saying is don't give any part of that because uh, for sin shall no longer be your master. Um, that we don't have to be a part of this anymore. So he goes on in uh, Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 13, um, that not only are we going to declare this, not only are we going to decide this, um, that we're not going to let any part of our bodies be used for wickedness, but he goes takes it a step further. Um, so do not use any part of your body for, uh, as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And again, he's saying, remember that you're not here anymore. That you're here. You've been moved from this side to this side. That we've been transitioned to this new life. That we have these promises of what this looks like. And it takes time to devote your body. It takes time to commit yourself. But what he's saying is that each day we need to make this plan. Each day we need to begin to make this move. I remember my baptism pretty vividly. Um, it was in June of 1993. Um, and I remember going to get baptized. And I'd wanted to get baptized for some time. I talked with my dad about it. And my dad actually told me, no. He said, you're not ready. You don't totally understand what this means. You don't totally understand what this looks like. He said, you need to hold on a little longer. And we began to talk about baptism um, and began to talk about what it means to commit your life to Christ. And I had really, really became confident that this is what I needed to do. And then I went to church camp and I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And so I called my dad and begged him and he drove up to church camp uh, to, to baptize me. And I remember when I was getting baptized, I remember standing there thinking, that's it. I am done sinning. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is behind me. I'm going to be raised to new life. And I got baptized, and I came up out of that water, and I thought, I'm a new person. This is incredible. And I got out of the pool, and there stood my crush in a swimsuit. And I thought, oh, man, she's pretty. And then she hugged me. And I thought, I'm getting baptized every year. <laughs> and then I immediately thought, oh, I just, I think I just sinned. I think I just sinned. 
And that was my struggle with faith for the longest time, that I kept thinking, like, oh, I'm behind this. I'm going to let this go. And yet it kept pulling me back in. It kept pulling me back in. And it kept, it kept grabbing a hold of me in ways that I didn't see. And I would find one area of my life and I'd finally feel like I'd got it under control. And then something else would happen. Something else would change in me and I would see it creeping out again. And it was this constant battle for me. And I think Paul would want us to be clear that what he writes in the book of Colossians uh, is what we need to do. He says, Ascent your mind on things above not on the things that are on the earth. Remember that you're here and not here anymore. Remember that you're here and not here anymore. And while it may take time to put on this new identity, that's what we have to remember. He says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Christ, who is life. That Christ changes us, that we don't have to live anymore, that we can wake up each day and, dis, uh, and, and sit there and declare that sin is no longer who we are, that that is our old self, and we can make a decision that our hands, our feet, our mouth, our bodies, our minds, our hearts are not going to be used for sin anymore, but that we're going to hand those over to who God is, and then we can devote ourselves to that. We can commit ourselves to following what Christ would have for us. And again, this is such a complicated thing that I, I forgive you if you're, if you're still skeptical, if you're still not certain, but I want you to understand that life has been promised for you. Not just life everlasting when you die, not just heaven, but life here, the life you want to live, the person you want to be, the person that God made you to be is here for you because of what Christ did, that the old self can die that God has been faithful to us. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. A God that loves us, that chases after us. A God that forgives. A God that helps us to see that there's so much more to life. Father, I've seen your faithfulness over the years in my own life. And you're shaping and honing and changing me into the man you've made me to be. Alive in Christ. Somebody that brings life and hope. And not somebody that brings destruction and self-interest. God, would you help each of us as we wrestle with this? We all can resonate with that. That we're not who we thought we were. That maybe there's something fundamentally missing. And that is our identity in Christ. God, would you help us to begin to wear that well, to be buried with Christ, be raised with new life with him, to know that we have died to our old self, that sin is no longer our master, but that we can declare that we belong to you, that we can devote ourselves to you, and that that will change everything. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.